Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hello, everyone, and I am so excited today to introduce Hendrik Crawford. He's coming to us all the way from South Africa, and he's going to be sharing his story of financial therapy and what it's meant in his life. This interview is packed with great nuggets and insights about the experiences of family shaping money, being a people pleaser, and the role that that has in the way that we interact with money. And I'm so excited because Hendrik is going to lead us off with his family's story of how he saw the beginning of his life shaping where he would go from there. The interesting thing is that's opposite to where my dad would have made it clear for us all. You know, we've got this goal. We, I remember one time he, we put carpets into the house. You know, this was a family goal and we saved towards it and we, we achieved it. So definitely there was an influence and a great example from my dad, but I went on my own journey where... You know, my own personality pl- played out. However, I think that my upbringing was a great environment that gave me um, great money management skills and ways of seeing the world and other way of, I, I think most probably the biggest gift that my dad gave me looking back and my mom was to say, you know, rather be a citizen of the world, you know, use your resources frugally versus becoming a consumer, you know, so yeah. Yeah, so that those powerful and they were stated messages about how to be in the world around money. And then as you move through your own adult life, and it sounds like on vacations, particularly you were sharing, that sometimes you would be inclined to go a little nicer on the luxury accommodations or or these accommodations trying to keep everyone happy. And and I know in my work, I have a lot of clients where they're peacemakers in the family. And they really want to just keep everyone happy, but sometimes they'll do that to the detriment of the finances for the family and at varying degrees. And so it sounds like that's something that you really started to hone in for yourself about having to set stronger boundaries and maybe even get comfortable with making someone upset. Definitely. Yeah. And I, and I think that word peacemaker is, is, is definitely, uh, you know, my, my two daughters sometimes calls me a bat. They say, you just hang and, you know, you can go either side, you know, so, yeah. Well, wait, so what was that phrase again? What do your daughters call you? A bat. A bat. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I haven't heard it said that way. That might be a unique way of saying it in South Africa. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So you have two daughters. Tell us a little bit more about your family life. What's what's that like for you at this point in, in life? Yeah. So I've got two daughters. My eldest is 25, um, studied off majoring in English last year, currently busy uh, exploring uh, the online English teaching and building her own business. The younger one is becoming 21 this year. She's studying engineering at our local university. 
And um, yeah, next year, both of them will, they want to move out to, together because the elder one must then pursue uh, engineering at one of the other universities in South Africa. Myself and my wife uh, has been married for 30 years. We unluckily decided to break up our marriage. Um, but the beg uh, beginning of the year, we s said that we're going to part ways in a nice manner still being friends and engaging with with each other however our relationship just got to a point where from a communication viewpoint uh, it didn't make sense the, we we saw the world in two total different ways and i think part of that was um what we just talked about you, you know me starting to put boundaries into place and um uh, negotiating that but also um, it just got to a po point where we, we said it would most probably or not most probably it will just make sense for us to rather separate and uh, she lives her own life and I live my uh, own life and um, we, 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 we're still relative, relatively young um, and most probably at this point it's better to rather part ways uh, in a good way and support each other on our new journeys than um, trying to stay together and I being the peacemaker just living with it but we don't have any romantic uh, relationship we we just stay to, together with each other for the security of w which we give each other so yeah so unluckily that was also a reality in my life so um, yeah that, that is unfortunate and it's a painful place to get to. I know for many couples when they make that decision to part and even if you're able to do it, it sounds like on reasonably amicable or good, good terms, there's, it's still a big loss. And I think, you know, the recording broke up just a little bit, but you're saying some of this may have also come by your own growth in realizing about finances and setting limits and what does that mean and, and how do we relate and, that is one of the challenging things I find about kind of personal development and, and healing work, whether it's around money or addictions or mental health issues, as we kind of start to keep working on that, sometimes if our partner is not with us, we grow further and further apart and we can't force our partners to join us on that journey either, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, as you're, you know, transitioning through that and your professional and finances and ontological coaching, how do you see that this very personal experience shaping the way that you're now working with your clients? So, so I think these are a few things. I, I think there was a first part for me personally, which I said, but because I also went through a work transition over the past five years from corporate, corporate life to my own practice you know, was a part to say, is all these things that's happening in my life failures and how can I actually guide other people? So, 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 so that was a definite part that I had to work through and say, but this is actually huge learnings. Uh, you, you know, moving from corporate life to my own practice meant at the sta stage I had to cut my personal or our personal budget with more than 50%, you know, building a, a new business. So, so that gives me a huge compassion for engaging with, with clients to not talk to them from a theoretical viewpoint, but to say, you know, and and that's also on the other side not to be biased then towards your your hurt and your 
challenges that you are working through through will never be the same as mine, but at least I have, can have compassion for that and say, okay, let's work with your reality. And then from ontological coaching framework where I work from, it's to say, you know, I meet you as a unique human being where you are and, you know, let's explore what is actually true for, for you and let's then work with that. And there's a, there's a lot of things that I still need to challenge in terms of myself to say what is true and what is some of the masks I'm carrying, what is some of the ungrounded assertions that I'm living, what is some of the ungrounded assessments I'm, I'm living, but also then the same, you know, working through the, going through my own journey, I'm now at the point where I say it's actually a huge gift that I've got so that because it helps me um, in terms of, like Daniel Pink says in his new book around regret, is to say, you know, what, are, what is the pain I'm experiencing? Because that actually tells me what is the passion that I want to go and explore and how can I go and explore that, that passion, uh, you know, helping clients uh, out there. That's a powerful uh, framework or way of looking at it is what is that? And if I get it wrong, help correct me, but that pain as a messenger, if you will, and then that becomes a clue for the passion to pursue. Is that kind of the essence of what you're saying is if you're experiencing pain, that it really is a signal for you to to go towards it and figure out and then in time to discover what's the passion that comes out of that. For sure, yes. You know, that's, you know, it's so funny because my own journey of going from firefighter to financial planner to now couples therapist and financial therapy is, I think has a lot of those elements as well. And it, it it scares me and unsettles me. And even now, because there's that part of me that wants to tell people like, everything's going to be okay. We're just going to create a financial plan. We're going to look at your cash flow. We're going to look at your investments, your taxes, and make sure they're all really nice and efficient and everything will work out. But what you're really saying is, and what I know is true is that's not enough. We may have pain in our life and ideas that are not fully formed that we really got to wake up and pay attention to because we can have a great plan, but if we're not doing well ourselves, maybe it's all for naught. Do you, is that some of what you're thinking? Yeah, because if, if we think about the ontological model, it says our way of being stands on three legs. And those three legs, if we think about it, is firstly our body, because we, we, we live from our body. So all our emotions, language, etc. sits in, in our bodies. And then secondly, our moods is a predisposition for action. So if, if I'm feeling that anxiety, if I'm feeling that resignation, if I'm feeling that resentment, if I'm feeling that fear, all of those moods are indirectly a predisposition for action and which creates at the ultimate level then the third leg is which is the language we are going to use because language creates our realities is then to say how do I use those moods and become aware of those moods however questioning what is actually true and what do I want because I'm at the old end of the day writing to a large extent my own story of life and what do I want to create from, from here that I can be passionate about, that I can give meaning, well, that gives me meaning to the world, that I can share, that it's value to the world? And yeah, to your point is then, how do I work with those moods so that I 
can see, you know, if, if I'm in a mood of anxiety, it tells me most probably it's the uncertainty I'm experiencing. But am I going to have anxious thoughts and bold monsters? Or am I going to say on the other side of anxiety, there's wonder and let I then go and explore and see what can come from, yeah, you, you know, because I've still got a roof over my head. I've got food. Uh, I've got good friends. I've got good relationships, whatever, you know, there's always things that we can be grateful for, for and say with that and with the resources I've got, you know, what, what am I going to create so that I use the mood to Give me po positive energy then to engage with world and create declarations that's of value and not scary assumptions and assessments that we can sometimes make. Wow, there's so much there about kind of the three-legged stool. And if I'm picking up on it right, um, I, I was thinking about for myself and one of those things that I've been feeling a lot in my body is kind of the, what's the feeling? So it's, uh, emotionally, it's been resentful. But in my body, it's probably kind of a more a collapsing, like my my shoulders and mm -hmm. everything, right? When I get small and have had to ask a lot of what what is this about? Where is this coming from? And then how is it showing up in my life? And I think it's and the energy it it drains from me is just incredible. And having to recognize some of where those patterns come from and and. Um, really staring it in the face is starting seeming to break apart more of that resentment. I think in the past I would deny that I would, would ever feel resentful, right? Because for me, I was a nice guy. The way I saw myself, I'm a nice guy. And it, because I'm a nice guy, I don't feel resentful. I'm always happy to help. Always happy to help. Always ready to go, right? Mm. And But that really is not true for me. I'm not always happy to help and I'm not always willing. And when I overextend myself, the resentment just builds up. And so I think yeah. if I'm picking up on what you're saying is we got to really become attuned to all the different things that we can feel in our body and emotionally because that then gives voice to the language. And I guess even if I, I think about it a little bit more, I, I wonder you know, when I talk about my life and people ask about how things are going, I, I've been increasingly more aware of how often I start off with sharing something negative or something problematic or something disappointing and probably beneath all of that is some of the resentment that I feel. Does that sound yeah. right from... Yeah, so, so, the, so, so to your point is also what can be useful is to say, when does it show up, you know, when you're sharing that story is underneath of that sto story, what do you sense, uh, you know, from, 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 your, from your body? And then most probably to our earlier discussion is to say, you know, what is it that you actually want in your life and what can you invite into your life in that actual space that you are ex experiencing and uh, Wendy Palmer um, I had the benefit of working with her with conscious embodiment and she's got this wonderful thing thing is to say when I'm feeling that part which is giving me that feeling of re resentment in my body is to stop and center and say how would it feel in my body and then you give yourself a quality that you will actually want in your life uh -huh. and invite that quality in and then feel that quality in the moment because then we can immediately experience that wonder and initially it will most probably not feel natural for <laughs> us but over time <laughs> we start inviting in that quality that we actually want to build it so yeah so you know i'm thinking about just the very practicality is as for people as they're facing their financial life, 
right? They, we know if you're going to look at your spending or your retirement plan or, or any of the money topics, right? It's going to evoke some emotional response and some feeling inside of your body. Yeah. And what you're saying from a conscious embodiment perspective is become very aware of that. And then ask yourself, what is it that I actually want to feel in my body and see if you can invite it in? And as you're saying that, you're the, the logical, critical part of my brain was like, this is hocus pocus. This is crazy. Um, but I've been around the block long enough to realize like, wait, there might be something there. And I, I entertain like, wait, what would it feel like to feel peaceful and, and grateful as I think about how much money, you know, is flowing through our mm -hmm. life? Because, you know, I, I think really, if truth be told, that's where I feel a lot of resentment. And so, like, that that embodied perspective, though, is so important. Is like, I, more and more I realize I can't just think my way out of this, which is what I really want to do. We've got to feel it in our body. Yeah. Wendy always say, says the body is a shortcut for our brains. So, 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 because we cannot lie for our bodies. Our brains can tell us all the hocus-pocus stories. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the hocus-pocus stories. I love it. I love it. Yes. Yes. So, as we get more embodied and more in tune with what's going on in our body, it really has a lot of wisdom. And I know from, from my perspective in somatic psychology and, and the study of trauma is how trauma memories get stored in our body and how often we get left feeling unsafe, uncared for, unseen um, from a wide variety of experiences. And the, that gets then taken with us into everything we try to approach, including, including our money. Wow. Yeah, and a good example to your money example is, for instance, you know, I've just swiped that credit card on something that I actually didn't want to buy and now i'm walking back to the car and i'm saying oh and then we start beating ourselves up because we actually told our stories before the time yeah you know it's 10 days from payday or whatever the case may be but is then to be kind with ourselves and just say it's my personality that played out there again so i would have actually have felt if i didn't swipe that card yeah you know what is the alternative feeling I would have had mm. and, and experience that because now I'm embodying the alternative behavior I'm actually wanting. I'm inviting the alternative mood that I actually wa want, you know, because that would most, be, most probably have taken some courage from, from me uh, to not swipe the card and not buy the pair of shoes or not buy the nice bottle of wine or whatever the case may be, you know, so, yeah. Uh, Hendrik, I don't know if you noticed this, but like people aren't going to be watching this interview, but as I heard you go through this, I've, I felt my body just kind of sit upright and I s felt fuller, you know, as I'm hearing that yeah, and that compassion for yourself because, you know, this weekend I'm in uh, one of the big warehouse stores here in the States called Costco. I don't know that you have it in South Africa. But it's a big box store where you buy your family groceries and you can get shirts and pants and all kinds of stuff, you know. And uh, they had hammocks for sale. And, you know, I had bought one before and then yeah. we thought, maybe we should get a couple more. And that kind of the rational was like, oh, of course, having more will be good. It, and this, this more is better. And then we're in there and we're buying it. And something in my mind is like saying, no, you don't. You don't know. You shouldn't buy this. You're you're trying to get some other financial goals taken care of. 
But then I rationalize. I'm like, ah, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's, Look, it's saved seven dollars. It's only twenty dollars now. <laughs> oh, so you know, I walk out with two, and I kind of, you know, I, I'm walking back to the car with my basket full of of goods, and I'm realizing, kind of disappointed with myself, and I'm starting to probably beat myself up a little bit about. See, there it is. You're just so out of control. You're irresponsible. That story that plays out in my head so often. So now I'm not enjoying that I just bought two more hammocks and I'm beating myself up. But what I'm hearing you say is like, Hmm. what would you like to feel after this? What would it been like before putting them in the cart? What is it that you want to feel? Yeah. How would it feel to check in with that before even? getting them in the car. And then if you do get them in the car, what does it feel like to have those? Is that, am I catching the the essence of what you're going after? Yeah. yeah. So, so I think yes, two parts is, is by having the body experience and just shop, uh, say, you know, you know, okay, fine. I've bought the two. That's fi- fine. So that was just my rational self, my personality pl- pl- play playing out. But, if I perhaps just for a moment before buying this have thought this through and making a, a grounded assessment, how would it have felt for me if I, and then you take a, a quality that you would have once say, if I had the courage not to buy the two amox, and how would that have felt in my my, my body and you experience that, that, that you actually start building the skill and the capacity so that next time, you know, your body will tell you, okay, don't you need a little bit ex- extra courage or discipline or whatever quality you pick that you need, which will applicable be for you, and your body will actually, you know, come up and give you that light bulb. You know, it's funny as I, I'm listening to you hear that question, I, my first response was like, I would feel disappointed if I didn't buy those, which just tells me I probably need to be even more curious about, oh, embody why would I be disappointed if I didn't buy them? And then, you know, what is that really about? What does this represent? And, you know, I think we're getting into those deeper layers of our relationship with consumption and material items and money that there's a lot of depth here to work through, isn't there? Yeah, because the other part, yeah, is, is then in terms of languages then to say, say, you know, if, if we listen to what you're saying is, then to say you would have been, you know, uh, is then to question and say, say, what is the actual psychological need that I want to satisfy by buying these two? <laughs> you know, and, you know, is it really so important? Then fine. Then the tickers then we don't have to remunerate on feeling bad about it as well as, uh, you know, building capacity because there was a valid re- psychological reason for that. And I can't replace that psychological reason with something else that would have not costed me mi- money, you know. So, you know, so let's challenge our own assumption then uh, uh, around this, how we got to making the decision, you know, because it's most probably not about the $7 saving it is, you know, what joy is it going to bring you and the fa- family, you know, and is there other way to bring the joy or is the $20 you spend on it fine for all the joy it's going to bring you, you know, so, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, this is, thank you for kind of using me as an example to 
demonstrate the power of this because, it, you know, I heard you talk about uh, the psychological need and I was went back to, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Sarah Newcomb's work, Loaded, yeah. where she talks about everything is a, is a need. It's not needs and wants. It's all yes. needs. They're just different needs on Maslow's hierarchy, right? And so uh, maybe it doesn't perfectly fit, but as you're saying is, you know, I have a family vacation coming up. I'm thinking about my boys. I have three boys. I'm thinking about, I don't want to have to manage conflict between them sharing hammocks. I'm also thinking about just no. the joy of seeing them relaxing. And so, you know, yeah, there's a lot of layers of meaning to this. And, it, you know, it's at one level I could dismiss and be like, well, it's just, you know, it's $40 in our total household budget. Not not a big deal one way or another. But it's also the cumulative effect of all these small money decisions. And so, you know, it's trying to find that grounded balanced approach to our finances where we really are able to enjoy what we're buying and for it to feel good and and guilt-free right and i've been really impressed or curious about how our relationship with money is similar to our relationship with food and how often we can feel guilty about having a cookie or a slice of cake and oh it's gonna you know put that extra pound on my waist and and how often we can do the same thing to ourselves with small purchases and finding that balance of small purchases can add up to a lot of money, but we also want to be able to make sure we're enjoying ourselves as we're spending. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the healthy love and money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. Finding that balance of Small purchases can add up to a lot of money, but we also want to be able to make sure we're enjoying ourselves as we're spending. I've got a good friend here in town. He's quite wealthy, but also in our industry, but um, he's got a small paper in his pocket. So he's, he's, his spending plan is is if he takes some, somebody out for lunch, most probably, and I say neither good or bad, he's most probably the person that will first look if the other person is going to pay the bill. And... Uh, if he gets at the end of the week and he actually stayed with his, within his budget on his little paper, then uh, and each expense he writes down to manage those small leaks, uh, you know, and I'm very bad at that. So, um, but at the end of the week, then he celebrates uh, the, that, you know, by, you know, buying something for, for himself and his wife, but still, you know, banking the rest that he saved, uh, uh -huh. you know, and that, that's uh, how it lives, you, you know. So, so he's got that spending plan, what he can spend, and within that he'll spend, and if he saves, then he celebrates it, you, you know. So, and that works for, for him, uh, you know. And I, and I think it's to get that structure for us that, like you say, that we can do it guilt-free is to say, you, you know, for some of us, saving comes naturally. For some of us, 
spending comes naturally and <laughs> <laughs> and it is to say you know which structure you know and i think then also talking about dr seran it's you know it's it is at the end of the day is is money is the value we get from the value we add to other people but then as it flows through our lives how do we optimize the utilization of that to have the biggest benefit for us and i think then it's that other paradox about how do we live the best life possible now with the resources we've got however also making provision for you know for one day when we want to become financial free uh, and and is then to manage those two paradoxes because sometimes that future is so far away that we you know uh, and then we come with all the biases of uh, say, saying you know okay well don't worry about it we'll make that up uh, mm-hmm. you, you know so we can take some of our short-term savings and pay for the holiday or pay for whatever and then we're actually taking from the cookie jar that uh, <laughs> or i won't say it's a cookie jar then we take from the fa- fa- we're stealing from the source you, you know which is actually supposed pr- perhaps a good example where you're st- bringing it back to food is you know we're stealing from the sourdough pl- plant that must start growing uh, for for us and uh, yeah breaking down down the power of cumulative uh, interest and dividends etc so yeah yeah you really highlight one of those great planning dilemmas is uh, living for the present and planning for the future and that dynamic tension. And we all fall somewhere on that continuum from some people that live fully in the present and don't worry about the future at all on one extreme. And on the other extreme, some people that are so focused on the future that they have no pleasure now. And then everything in between. And there's not really maybe one final right place on that continuum. I, I mean, I would probably argue that somewhere in the middle range is probably most healthy and adaptive but you know i mean this is also i think kind of in that spirit of you know to each person they have to figure that out for themselves and 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 then the life and the relationships they're living in and and what does give that meaning to life so hendrick you know this there's so much wealth that you have to offer people in the ontological coaching is there another big concept you would love to to share with people that you just lights you up about ontological coaching I think in using perhaps this last example you, you you referred to is the continuum, you know, is the first thing like I started off by saying, you know, is the uniqueness and, and then bring it back to couples, you know, is working with two couples and seeing them as unique individuals and helping them to see each other as unique individuals. Because if you've got two couples on that two sides of the continuum, actually they can be a huge team because the one wants to create memories and the other one will be make sure that one day when they're old they'll still be able to enjoy memories you you know so so that's the part but but i think then the other part of ontological coaching is or or of our, our model is to say you know all these instances is opportunity for learning however we've got enemies of learning that's standing in our way so what is the enemies of learning between those couples that's keeping them you know is it the one that's staying to the numbers and want to create the future is you know my way is the right way and the rest is the highway and the poor person that wants to enjoy memories is perhaps just saying ah let him go, uh, you know, if it's a wife-husband yeah. situation is to say, 
how can we through the enemies of learning then get those two couples to see what is actually happening in their lives and get those stumbling blocks out of the way and then because most probably this is causing tension in the relationship, is causing anxiety in the relationship and can lead to resignation uh, and resentment in the, in those relationships. So again, you know, the ontological model is for me so human. And the other thing is, it's nothing else than conversations we're having, you know, and improving the quality of conversations we're having with clients and with each other. And then the, I think the other point perhaps to add what I'm so passionate about the model, and I went through integral coaching. I I went through neuroscience. I went through NLP. <laughs> you, you know, and all of that, I still use pieces of it. So I'm not discrediting it. But I think um, ontological coaching, due to the fact that it's a philosophical model, it's again integral. You know, you can bring so many of the other therapy work that's out there of. Um, the other models you can integrate and and bring it yeah but talking about language talking about moods talking about body it's so practical for, for for me and nothing else actually is how do we improve the quality of conversations we're having with our clients but also empowering our clients then to build those skills so that they can correct themselves over time and not be dependent on other people to help them. I think that's the other powerful side of ontology. It sounds like you really learn and develop a way of looking within yourself and asking yourself new questions. And from that, asking new questions, you grow and you change. And as you learn that process of how to ask and be um, curious about what's going on with yourself. It really does lead to you becoming different, and it's um, is that is that kind of the essence of what you're saying? Yeah. So, so I think the beauty of what you're saying there is that acknowledging us and my world of of viewing the world is that we're not static. All things that happens in our life influence us, and we can change for the better and for the worse. And it's how we engage with that. And we can always seek that better place of existence for ourselves and for our clients because it's something we can continuously develop. So we, we're not saying you like that and that's it or this happened in my life. So I'm now and I'm taking on the label of, of what I went bankrupt. I'll carry that label with me. That's not that's something that happened outside of me and. I can build the capacities to start from new. There's a lot of things that I'll need to work through through from a financial um, point of view. However, I'm not the financial incidents. I'm not the person that overspends. I overspend, but I'm not. That's not me as a person. So, so what is the capacity I must build to deal with that? So, yeah. I think what it sounds like what you're really highlighting, and this is such an important point, is it's not intrinsic to who you are. It's you something may need to grow and change within you to see a different outcome. But if you say, I am bankruptcy in effect, or I am a bad spender, hmm. like you'll never get around that. Yeah. But if you're able to say, I have gone through bankruptcy, or I do overspend from time to time. Like it's not all encompassing. It's something you have done. It's behavior. But if you can build within yourself 
uh, our sense of resourcefulness or change, it really gives you freedom to move forward from this. I'm capable of learning. I'm capable of learning how to spend less money. I'm capable of knowing what my real needs are. That's a very different position. Yeah. So, so you're touching on a very important point and it's something I'm pondering on, you know, if we look around us and we look at all the stats that comes out and we can even look at the stats before COVID. So we can't, uh, blame COVID for, for this is, you know, the <laughs> levels of financial anxiety that people are uh, experiencing, you know, the latest research in South Africa shows something shocking like 70%. Um, uh, worldwide is sitting around 60%, the last stats all over that I uh, had a look at. And we talk about first order learning, that's giving clients budgets and, you know, giving them manuals to learn and uh, at at etc. Et yeah. And and there's so many of that free resources and brilliant free resources all over the internet, uh, workshops at etc. However, why are we still and or let's rephrase it and say what is the reason that we're still sitting with <laughs> 60 70 percent of people exp experiencing financial anxiety and then my view is that that's the attitude towards money the things that you talked about about you know what language do i give to the to my money uh, you know what is the mood that i carry around money which is anxiety and uncertainty but so so you know we actually need to help people to de develop personal leadership slash financial leadership and then we will start addressing that but uh, and it's most probably not a but it's an and how do we do do that and how can we scale it and get to people to actually carry out this this ma message uh, you know so and i think that's why something like this podcast is brilliant to bring those messages to people and make them curious and start engaging in this because it's clear that all the millions that we are spending on financial literacy and resources is definitely not addressing the core of what is actually needed in the world. And like in an interview, or I had a chat with you, Massey of FDNA last week, he actually said, our work is so critical because we're actually saving lives. Yes. Because it's not, <laughs> it's not just um, suicide. It is, you know, people get anxiety. It affects their health. Uh, it spills over to other things. So we unbelievable privilege to do what we do. However, how do we get to more people and scale it and help people, you know? So, yeah. I think that's a great place to bring this interview to a close is we have a personal relationship with money. And just learning how money works is not enough for most of us to change how we feel about money. We have to go on this journey of self-inquiry and understanding our relational history with money, with the people that we've interacted with. And it's from a deepening process, much like whether it's the ontological coaching approach that Hendrick offers or something like the Couple's Guide to Financial Intimacy. It's getting into a deeper reflective position that you fundamentally change who you are that then allows you to show up around money differently. I mean, I, I have known what to do with money. I have arguably more education than I should about personal finances. And let me tell you, I still F it up. And mm. it's always because there's something inside of me that's unreconciled. It's not from a lack of knowledge. It's not from a lack of ability. It's from there's some motive need that I haven't recognized or I'm trying to avoid, and it leads me right onto the rocky shoal. And so I share that to say, you're okay where you're at. 
but you also need to take the risk to start working on this and discovering because um, yeah, I hit the rocky shoals sometimes, but I also get the boat patched back up and back out there to see. And uh, I know Hendrik, I'm sure you're on the same, same course there. Um, so as we wrap up, what's one last piece of advice, guidance, maybe not advice or guidance, but questions someone can ask themselves and then how can people find you? And I'll certainly put all this information in the show notes too. So it, it um, firstly, thank you very much for the opportunity and thanks for the friendship and uh, that we can share a communal passion uh, with, with your listeners. I'm on LinkedIn, um, uh, Indra Kraffert, um, and uh, I've got a newsletter that comes out. Try to bring it out twice a month where I do a coaching roundup which is applicable to clients as well as coaches or people, uh, financial therapy association, um, co-members of us can also have a look at that. Um, then I have got a website, www.graphiscoaching.co.za. I think the most important question is most probably understanding what is the one thing that you are really passionate about and what is really important for you so like a purpose statement for your personal life and if you are married for you as a couple and 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 i want to say if you are married the personal purpose statement for yourself as well as your partner and then for the family so what is really important for you because i think that can be like a lighthouse leading you towards how you actually need to spend. Because if we haven't clarified that, it's easy to let money just flow through our lives and we don't know on what we must actually spend it. But if we clarified what is really important for me, what is really important for us, I think then it becomes the lighthouse and we can work towards that, which is much easier. You know, it's at that higher level what is important for us. I love that. Yeah, it really leaves me even thinking about needing to go back and talk with my wife. And as our kids are getting older, asking, what is the purpose of our family? Why do we exist? What do we want to be to each other and to the world? Uh, thank you for your generosity. Uh, Hendrik was saying before we started, they're going into winter as we're going into summer. So I hope that you have a wonderful winter while we make it through the summer at the time of this recording. And I most definitely look forward to our, path, forward to our paths continuing to cross. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Ed. All of the best. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed.